0: The reading is Malachi 1, starting from verse 6 and ending in 2, 9. A son honours his father, and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honour due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name, but you ask How have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the word's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the the setting of the sun. In every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table it is defiled and of its food it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, Should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, and then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And now this this admonition is for you, O priests. If you do not listen... And if you do not set your heart to honour my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not set your heart to honour me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your faces the offal from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this admonition, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge and from his mouth men should seek instruction because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way by your teaching uh, have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law.
1: Thank you, Robin. Um, quite often people talk to me about the fact that I'm English. I don't know how they can tell. But um, now that I've lived here for 14 and a half years, I tend to just forget. But when people bring it up, it does make me wonder, what kind of ambassador for England am I? You know, Do I represent my country of birth well? This jubilee—it's uh, sorry. This weekend, it's the platinum jubilee of your queen and mine, Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, and whatever you think about having the monarch of another country as your head of state, and last time you were asked, you said yes, please. So don't blame me. You have to admit she's a good ambassador for Britain, at least. Even the current Australian Prime Minister, a committed Republican, by the way, said of her. The Queen has been a rare, constant, and enduring, inspiring presence of calm, decency, and strength. Nice things to say. He said that just before he went on to hinting that he was going to pursue replacing her. And there is still room in the Tower of London for him if he wants to go down that road. But bad ambassadors, good ambassadors. That's what I'm trying to get our heads into. So what kind of ambassador or representative are you? Uh, For your family? For who you work for? Are you a good ambassador for them? What about for our church? Are you a good ambassador for us? And if people know you as a Christian, are you a good ambassador for God? Well, this second oracle or message that Malachi has from God is for the people who were supposed to be his ambassadors, the priests. They were supposed to represent God to the people and represent the people to God. And throughout Malachi, there's these series of disputes in there. God makes a statement, the people question it, and then God prosecutes his case. He gives loads of evidence that what he's just said is true. And last week, we saw um, that the people question God, stating that he loved that he loved them. This week it's the priests who are on trial. So there's an outline here's the outline. I've uh, gone with the sort of court theme: trial, verdict, life sentence, doing time. Trial, verdict, life sentence, doing time. So these priests are on trial. And that's our first heading. God is talking to the guys whose job not just their job, their whole family history and lineage was to know exactly what right worship of God looked like. And he, God accuses in verse 6, it is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? So just some background on priests. Um, God hadn't left his people Israel wondering how to love him Um, how to worship him, how to thank him. He'd given them detailed instructions in the law of how to live out loving him with all their heart, soul, and mind. He told them how to go about dealing with with the fact that he was holy and they were sinful. So this whole system of sacrifices and offerings centered on the temple, which would help them understand in very practical, earthy ways how great God is and how serious sin is. So, whilst, you know, if you read Leviticus, it's lots of rules and regulations, but it was actually very freeing because everyone knew exactly what was expected of them. And there was a whole family line of priests, they were there to help you get it right. But these men in Malachi's time, chosen to get it all, help them get it all right, they were getting it all wrong in two ways with defiled sacrifices and distorted truth. So first, defiled sacrifices, verses 6 to 8. So they asked the priest, how have you shown contempt for your name? God answers, by offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not, not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? See, it was the priest's job to make sure that animals brought for sacrifice were unblemished, like the best of the, of the herd. People were supposed to bring the best one that's considered whole. And it helped the people to understand that their sin made them unwhole. It had caused a problem, and that God would use their sacrifice to restore them. But the priests were letting them try to fob God off with... You know, just the dregs of the herd, the limpy one or the blind ones, the ones that they didn't really want anyway, that they were a whole lot less bothered about. And the priests were helping the people. Instead of pulling them up on it, the priests were helping them just say, Oh, she'll be right. Go through the motions and pay tokenistic lip service to God. We saw last week God's people were questioning if he loved them. And this is the result of not knowing that God loves them. Half-hearted, surface level, just following his instructions, going through the motions. So, you know, a good lamb or a limpy lamb, why did that matter so much? It's because the quality of their sacrifices revealed their heart attitude to God. It showed that they thought God didn't really matter. Like their worship didn't really make any difference. And so they just gave him their dregs. But what about us? Now, we don't sacrifice animals, I hope. Um, Being a follower of Jesus means being a priest to the world. So representing Jesus in order to bring the world blessing through him. But we don't bring animal sacrifices. However, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So we're called to respond to God's grace to us in Jesus with with more than an animal, with our whole lives in worship. Now, this... Offering of ourselves is not to atone for sin. It's really important we get that. Jesus has already sorted out our sin. No, this is a different kind of offering, a different kind of sacrifice. It's a thanksgiving worship offering. And God makes the point that we know how to honor people. 1 verse 6, a son honors his father And a slave is master. If I'm a father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. I love the way he puts it in verse 8. He puts his finger right on the pulse. He says, I'll tell you what, try offering those to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Of course he wouldn't. Since we wouldn't get away with fobbing off people with second best we shouldn't think it's okay to shortchange God. We can't on the one hand say we respect and honor God and on the other hand just offer him our leftovers. Now, what I don't want this morning to be is just a big beat up, like I'm telling you all that we're all half-hearted because that's not what I see. I see everyone serving really hard. It's it's much more difficult to be part of a newer, smaller church like this, isn't it? We all have to chip in. And I've seen you all give your all in many ways. But it is always worth asking ourselves, is God getting what's left over after we've spent all of our energy on everything else that we care about? So in our worship of God, in our serving one another in our approach to how we read the Bible for ourselves, in our striving for holiness. Does God get our best? Is is our love of God what drives and motivates how we spend our energy, what we love and what we value? Those priests that Malachi is talking to brought second-rate sacrifices because they didn't think that God was present behind the curtain They thought God, behind that curtain in the holies of holies, they didn't think he was really paying attention or making much difference. So what about when we came to church this morning? I mean, I know it's cold and wet, and that was distracting, but did we come here today prepared to meet a king? Did we come expecting to engage with the living God, and bring him our heartfelt worship. Is that reflected in our singing, in what time we get here, in what time we leave? And what about emotionally engaging? Sharon and I have been getting into Korean romantic dramas on Netflix. I know, I know. I can recommend them. And they're very emotive lots of heart-on-the-sleeve stuff. And I found myself, I mean, Sharon's found herself, getting really emotionally engaged with them. Like, getting really into it. And that's fiction on the telly, in another language. And here we are, tearing up. So I've got to ask myself, am I willing to engage with God with that intensity? Bringing our, our true offering, it's going to look different at different stages of life. You know, In our own family, the number of ways we've been able to, to serve and engage with things has varied depending on the age of health and the age of children and all sorts of things. Wherever you're up to, our sacrifice should reflect our heart. Our heart's desire to, to sacrifice ourselves for God. But how do we grow our heart's desire to love God, to really want to honor him so we don't end up like those priests? Well, we need to keep feeding on his word to know the truth about him. See, the second accusation God has against the priests is that they distorted the truth and it's led people astray. So chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you've turned from the way, and by your teaching, have caused many to stumble. You've violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So the people are offering dodgy sacrifices because they're half-hearted towards God. Why? They're half-hearted towards God because they don't know he he loves them. And they don't know he loves them because the priests have failed to show them the truth about him through his word. So, we grow in our love of God and our desire to honour him with our lives by knowing him, knowing him through his word, the Bible. So, for people like me, charged, and growth group leaders charged with teaching God's word, that means being really careful with it, handling, trying to do our best to handle it faithfully. It means sometimes teaching a hard, unpopular word. For all of us, it means that when we're being taught from the Bible or reading it for ourselves, expecting God to teach us through it, to speak to us through it. Coming to church or Bible study ready to do business with God. It also means opposing false teaching when we come across it. Um, Not to be know-it-alls, I've got it all right kind of thing, but just holding in your heart that God is amazing and we don't want anyone leading astray from him we don't want anyone distracting from him or going down unhelpful rabbit holes and we don't need to be mean about it or clever about it you can just say if you hear something that sounds a bit off just say oh where did you get that from in the bible just a simple question our royal role as a royal priesthood is to represent god well by doing all we do to honor God and point people to Jesus. And we do that by knowing and teaching his word, growing, in, growing us in our love of him. And we do that by bringing God our best in our serving, in our worship, in our Bible reading, in our language, in our conduct, in, in everything we do. So what's the verdict, our second point? And the rest of the points, don't worry, they're much shorter than that first point. Nearly all the talks in that first point. So here we go. What's the verdict? It turns out God really cares about his name. That is, God really cares about the sense of who he is, what he's like, being dishonored. And he really cares about people missing out on him. And the priests are guilty as charged. That's their verdict. And his judgment is pretty stark. So Malachi 1 verse 10. Oh, that one of you would just shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offering from your hands. You know, if you read Ezra, Nehemiah, Hosea, there's a whole big drama about getting the temple rebuilt. It's really important. And yet here, God is so fed up of how meaningless their offerings are. He'd rather them shut the doors on the temple altogether. So chapter two, verses one and two, God warns that he'll curse them. And then verse three is lovely, isn't it? You can buy this um, nice frame on a wooden plaque at Kurong. Uh and it's referring—you can see that hung on your on your on your living room wall, lovely, wasn't it? That God is using this language he's referring to the offal and the guts that would be cut out from the sacrifices and dumped outside the city walls. And God's saying here, really forcefully, because you're treating me like rubbish, that's how you'll be treated. And finally, in verse nine, God promises the priests. They'll be despised and humiliated. All very full on, isn't it? So is that warning for those priests, is that, is that also for us if we're trusting in Jesus? Well, we've got to keep remembering Jesus has saved us by grace. Yeah, our salvation is secure, and there's no doubts about that. Because in the end, it's Jesus' record and not our own by which we will be finally judged and yet there is a sense of us all having to give an account of ourselves. So have a look at this from 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, look at the whole thing later, but um, towards the end, fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only is one escaping through the flames. So our salvation is secure, but will we want to stand before God, our king, and explain why we treated him as runner-up in the heart stakes? Will we want to stand before him and explain how people got the wrong idea about him because of us? God takes the honor of his name very seriously. We can't fool God, but we can, like the priests... Fool ourselves, convincing ourselves and others that what is unacceptable is acceptable, leaning us into sin which dishonours God. So heed the warning given to the priests in Malachi. Well, why is God so severe with them? God wants, wants to keep his promise of life and peace. He wants to give his people a life sentence. That's our third heading, a life sentence. Even though God's people have been unfaithful, he remains faithful to his promises to bring life and blessing. So have a look at verse 11 in, in the passage we've had. sticks out like a pure white lamb. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. So in contrast to the priests who can't bring a pure offering in God's own temple, the whole world will worship rightly, acceptably, from wherever they are. Now, this isn't a sort of universalist idea that all religions lead to God. But that language from where the sun rises to where it sets, in all the parts of the Bible, is always talking about the end of the world when Jesus returns. God's looking forward to that return and when the whole world knows who he is. The whole world at last doing what it's made for, what it is most blessed doing, glorifying God. How will God do this? Well, have a look at God's explanation for his discipline in the priests. And you will know that I have sent you this warning, so my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and turned many from sin. Now, if you remember Levi, if you read about Levi... He himself was not a great guy. So God must then be talking about the Levite priesthood generally. Like last week, we talked about Jacob and Esau, and they were representing the whole nations. Um, but in truth, there's only ever been one Israelite in all history who could truly be described as Levi is there, and that's Jesus, the one perfect Israelite. From Hebrews 7, such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed their sins once for all when he offered himself. Jesus isn't a Levite, and yet he is the ultimate priest. He's perfectly faithful, always pleasing to God. And because he has no need to atone for his own sin, his sacrifice for us, if we will accept it, counts once and for all. Jesus' sacrifice doesn't symbolize our sin being paid for like the animal sacrifices. It actually achieves our sin being paid for. Jesus is the perfect priest, the perfect offering. And through Jesus, God will be faithful in his promise to bring life, peace, and blessing. So the challenge for us then is, how will we do our time, our last hope doing time? God is faithful. Will we be? And why. So, what we don't want to be to do is to be living um, an outwardly godly life for all the wrong reasons. You know, it's possible for our offerings of ourselves to be blemished. When we do the right thing to make us feel better about ourselves, convincing ourselves God ought to love us and give us an easy ride. When we do the right thing out of fear or guilt, because then. Really, if you think about it, we're doing the right thing for our own sake. Now, to be faithful in our worship with our whole life, we need the heart change that the gospel brings. This is from Titus, chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, it's, it's not salvation. It's not doing good stuff teaches us salvation. Salvation, being saved, teaches us good works. I'll skip the rest of that reading. The gospel is that Jesus gave himself for us, and in him, we're safe, secure, and accepted already, today, right now. We're fully loved by God. We don't need to prove ourselves or save ourselves. And so we're free to offer ourselves for no other reason but to glorify God. It's because he deserves it. And we can do that knowing that we're already his very own. God is faithful. He's begun to bring us peace, life, and blessing. And he'll bring those things to completion on Jesus' return. So until then, we're called to live as a kingdom of priests. So that verse again I read at the start of the service. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Our job is to represent God to the world, to mediate his blessing, if you like. We're ambassadors holding out the message of our king, the good news about Jesus. So, How do we do that? By sacrificially giving our best from a willing heart that is eager to do good. Hearts warmed as we read and talk about and share the gospel of Jesus. God will be faithful to you. God will be faithful to you. Let that warm your heart and prompt you to give your best for him, representing him well as his ambassador. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, where we have... Being half hearted and going through the motions, and honestly, a bit bitter about the things we do for you. Uh, We're sorry. And please forgive us. Lord, please grow in us a heart that knows you have saved us, that we're safe in Jesus. And may we know that life and peace and blessing that warms our hearts. And prompt us to share Jesus and to, to love you um, in sacrificial ways. Giving you our all. Amen.